Welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am so excited that we have another fabulous guest expert with us here today, and I'm going to officially introduce her. Today, we have Janine Dianabal. She is a PhD and a licensed psychologist and a nationally recognized expert in sexual assault and traumatic stress and treatment for survivors. She's a native of Ohio, and she received her undergraduate degree from the University of Dayton and her doctorate in counseling psychology from the University of Tennessee. Dr. Deanna Ball currently serves as the Director of Trauma Services at Mental Health Partners in Lafayette, Colorado, and she also has been the Director of Moving to End Sexual Assault. Mesa, the Sexual Violence Resource Center serving Boulder County, Colorado for the last 20 years. So welcome, Janine. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to join you in your program. Yeah. So today we're going to be unpacking how trauma affects our relationship with our bodies. And I would love before we dive into all of the, the content that we have to share, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your story and how you got into this work. Yeah. Happy to do that. And it's, um, it's a little bit of an indirect path, I will say. So I started, um, I started graduate school. I, I started to get my PhD in counseling psychology with the intention of becoming a sports psychologist. So uh, I was an athlete and probably um, an elite athlete wannabe. I was never that good, but I certainly loved athletics and I loved, um, I love sports in general. And um, so I started as a sports psychologist and worked uh, at the University of Tennessee with the women's basketball program, women's swimming, uh, some a little bit with men's football. So I was in the world of athletics. And I loved it until um, as I kind of developed relationships with athletes and coaches, they begin to talk with me about things that were well beyond their sport um, and started to share more deeply personal things about things that have happened to them in their growing up. And I soon realized that I was very much out of my league with knowing how to respond, what to do, and how to help. And uh, I now know what they were sharing with me was, was trauma, was traumatic events, right? So early on, I made a decision of I'm out of my, um, over my head here. So I kind of switched courses in, in my graduate training and subsequent postdocs and whatnot. 
and really became focused on traumatic stress uh, because I just felt like uh, so many people experience trauma and feeling like I wanted to figure out how to be of service. So that is a little bit about my path. Yeah. That's so interesting that that wasn't necessarily your intention that you were kind of drawn to the sports. And then you were in doing that, you were kind of unpacking that there's a deeper layer here and you wanted to have those skills and tools to be able to, to help those people. So that's so awesome. And I think it leads perfectly into, I wanted to talk about like, what is trauma? Because I think a lot of times when we think of a trauma, we think of a big event, like a very big traumatic event. And I was, when, um, Janine and I were talking earlier this week, I shared with her that my, I lost my father in a very tragic way when I was 20 years old. And so I can look back at that and say, that was traumatic. That was a trauma. And some of us can, it's really obvious to us, like, yes, this was a trauma, but can you talk more about like kind of debunking the myth of like trauma has to be this big thing and like, what is trauma? Yeah. Great question, uh, Elizabeth. And really, uh, trauma is defined really by the person that experiences an event that causes harm. And that event, uh, like you're saying, Elizabeth, it can be something big and, you know, really intense, right? And uh, maybe something that we call shock trauma, where the body goes into a state of shock after experiencing it or receiving the news, right? That is, that is one type of trauma. But really, if you take what I'm saying in a, an event that causes harm, that can be so many different things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that one might perceive as big, right? It can be lots of events that may not even register as trauma. Like for instance, here's just a really simple example. So let's say as a child growing up in a family where there was alcohol use or mental illness, okay? And let's say as a kid, there were various kind of harms and neglects done and not necessarily that there was physical or sexual abuse, although that could be there as well. But let's just say that the parent or the caregiver was stuck in their own stuff, right? Their own experiences and weren't able to be there for the child in a way that felt attentive or present or nurturing to that child right? Maybe the parent slept through um, the child's um, dance recitals, or they, uh, they weren't able to be home to talk about how school was going or homework was needed, right? So just some of those like neglect pieces or those subtle ways that the misattunement and misconnection happens. So it could really range from everything of those type of events to other events like sexual assault, sexual abuse, you know, tragic accidents or deaths, um, medical trauma. So it's, it's really a gamut. And the most important thing, Elizabeth, is that trauma is defined by the person that experiences it, not by someone on the outside saying, well, that was traumatic, that wasn't. It's really what's traumatic to you, traumatic to me. 
right? And I am a unique person. And what might feel traumatic to me may not feel traumatic to you, but I get to define that for myself. Wow. That is so huge because I see this a lot in, in working with women is that there's a sense of guilt. If, if my hardship is not as hard as your hardship, and then I'm not allowed to feel like what I'm going through is trauma because there's always someone somewhere over there. That's they're in a much worse situation. So who am I to, and what I'm hearing you say is that we must turn inward to our own experience and honoring our own experience and, and not kind of wish it away really. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love what you said about honor our own experience because Um, we do this thing where we compare, we compare trauma and we kind of wait, wait it, right? Like one trauma is worse than another trauma or not as bad as, and what that can do is it can invalidate our own experiences. Um, and then if we invalidate our experiences, well, then we don't ever get to work on them to heal them right? If we're too busy invalidating or minimizing them. So, so we just have to know if something caused us harm or hurt, right? That's enough. That's enough. That's a trauma. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's trusting that if something is off to us, if something is upsetting us, if it feels like a trauma to you, then it is. And it's okay. Yeah. I love how you say that part of healing, a huge part of healing is being able to identify it and be honest. I was just talking yesterday in one of my coaching calls about speaking your truth, right? And yesterday, or yeah, yesterday I had posted and written about my experience with postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. which was very traumatic for me. And in, 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 talking about it and writing about it and reflecting about it. I mean, if I just shove that down, if I shove down that experience, because who am I to have depression? I have every privilege in the world. How does that serve me? How does that serve me to be a good mom? How does that serve me to be a good business leader? Right. It's so imperative that we are honest about what is going on inside of us. It doesn't serve anyone when I always say, when we, when we fall on the sword, right. When we do the self-sacrifice of, oh, well, I'm going to keep this down because I don't want to inconvenience anyone else. And I always say, sister, you, you are dimming your light and that serves no one. Right. So I'm hearing that it's so, I, I love, I love this conversation though, because I think when we hear the word trauma, we all have very specific ideas of like what that is and what it isn't. So I love this sense of freedom that you're kind of encouraging us to feel around the word itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and just, and just one more point on your point, Elizabeth is, you know, just when we, when we kind of claim something as, as our experience, right. That doesn't mean it's not the same as like we're wallowing in it. Right. Or where we're like following it down some rabbit hole. No, it's just 
it's just acknowledging it, that it's here, that it's real, that it had impact and um, that it deserves some attention. Okay. So I don't see that as, as by us naming something, recognizing it, talking about it, that that's, that's like wallowing or, um, yeah, you it's know. not that we're real. It's not that we're saying go back and relive your trauma, right? That's not what we're saying. No, it, it's it's actually the way I describe it is, it's acknowledging it. It's part of your story. It's it's part of you. And how can you look at it from an observer? How can you be curious? So you're not like in it, not reliving it. That wouldn't feel safe, right? So right. it's like getting curious about how did that impact me and, and really being able to give yourself so much compassion. It's, it's a way of like getting to know yourself and yes. And yeah, so I love, I love that you said that. Cause yeah, it's not that, you know, part of me telling my postpartum depression story, it was emotional for me, but I just kept reminding myself, this is actually not what's here anymore, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not in that space anymore. And it's so powerful when you can kind of step out and I'm, I'm an empath. So I'm, I'm very, I have to be very mindful of my energy and Mm -hmm. I can kind of quickly go into that rabbit hole of pain. And, but it's interesting because I kind of see it as I, I have the power to have intentionality around how I look back or how I reflect or how I am able to heal and shift and move out of that. Does that make sense? Makes a ton of sense, a ton of sense. Yes. And the power on you telling your story right? About that trauma. Also, while you're not in it, you could also be helping someone who's, who is in it right now. Right. Absolutely. And that's, what's so beautiful about when we are able to share our truth and our experience is that it does, it, it empowers other people to, to feel like they're not alone and that they're feeling seen and heard and acknowledged and, Cause so many of us struggle with that feeling of isolation and feeling like it's just, it, it, there must be something wrong with me. And so I was so excited to share that story of motherhood because it, I feel like it's not shared enough, you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that shadow side, you know, with every light, there's a shadow. And so, yes, the more we share our stories, the more that we are honest and authentically ourselves, it not only just feels good and, but it really does impact everyone that we are around, right? When you're, I mean, we all know what that's like when you're, when you're in the presence of someone who is really unapologetically themselves, it (laughs) makes you feel like you can be your crazy wild self or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. So would you say it's pretty fair to assume that everyone has experienced trauma? I, I do. Um, studies, research that has been done says out of the uh, adult population in our country, about 80% of people have experienced at least one traumatic event. I think that is, um, that is 
underrated, underreported, especially in light of the definition I just gave, right? That doesn't have to be a big T trauma, okay? It can be, it can be some of these other pieces. I think if you line up that definition that way, you're probably looking at about 100% of us. Yeah. So how does trauma impact our nervous system and our relationship with our bodies? Okay. So trauma, I like to think of trauma on a continuum of stress, right? We can all relate to feeling stress in our life, right? Over anything like, um, you know, our hot, our hot water heater breaks down or, you know, getting the kids off or homeschooled or are managing finances, we know that feeling of stress, right? So I see trauma as a little further on that continuum where our normal coping mechanisms don't always work to help us deal with something, right? Our normal coping mechanisms that we might use on a day-to-day basis to manage stress that comes up sometimes aren't the right tools for the job, right? In the face of trauma. And what happens is that our nervous system can kind of what I call kind of elevate, right? We, we come out of our baseline of feeling grounded and centered and open, curious, and we get into more either this state of arousal, right? So we're on edge a little bit more, our, we're vigilant, um, looking for danger, not feeling safe, Um, that can manifest in us feeling worried or scared or even panicky, okay? Another manifestation of that can be if the stress particularly is more prolonged, we could get out of that stage of vigilance and go into what I call more shutting down responses. So that would be like the freeze response of the nervous system where we kind of slip into this state where we feel helpless or hopeless and maybe even checked out, right? The fancy clinical term is called dissociated. So check, we're there in our bodies, but our mind is, is not connected to our body, right? So our nervous system gets stuck sometimes in one or two of these states, or sometimes we go between them, right? Where we're really um, anxious or worried or irritable and then frozen and helpless. And we can be stuck in one or the other or go back and forth. And that's really the essence of nervous system dysregulation. Okay. Where we were that centered, grounded openness, like it, we're, we're having a hard time getting back to that state easily. Right. And it's not because we're weak. It's not because we can't deal. It's simply that our nervous system prepared us to deal with the threat that we were under. Right. That's why it happened. That's why our nervous system responded in that way. So that that's a good thing. Okay. What's not a great thing is when it sticks there, when it's outlived its usefulness to be anxious or vigilant, right? And when, when we want to feel calm and relaxed, like if we're eating dinner with our family or we're going for a nice walk, we don't want our nervous system to be on high alert in those moments, right? So, so I'll just kind of pause there before I speak about the body piece and just see if that makes sense or if you have anything 
any questions you want to ask as follow-up. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That makes so much sense. And I also feel that it's part of why so many of us struggle with sleep too, is that we get to, we're kind of in this like constant stress state throughout our whole day. We're doing our work. We're doing, we're dealing with the kids. We're doing drop-offs. We're doing dinner. We're doing this. And it's this sense of like, we're on this moving train and it's hard to get off. That's right? right. And so I, yeah, I always, for myself, I, I call those, um, smoke signals from my body. If I have an evening where I have extreme trouble falling asleep, or I have a night where I'm like waking up at 2am and my dream is super intense or whatever it is, I see those as messages from my nervous system of you are, your dial is turned way up sister. Mm -hmm. And what do you need to do to reset and heal? And I know we're going to talk about that and some tools. Um, but yeah, that makes total sense what you're saying. And, And I also loved how you kind of shared that it could be both. It's like this ping pong energy of frantic, scattered, anxious, and avoidant. Right. Yes. Avoidance. And so that's really interesting because sometimes I think when we talk about mental health or just health in general, it's easy for us to get into binary thinking of, well, I'm this way or I'm that way, or it's, this is good and this is bad. And so what I'm hearing you say is that in that frantic energy, there's a lot of nuance to it. And there could be a lot, you could be in both sides or you could kind of ping pong between those two. And even though they look different, it is that smoke signal from the nervous system that it's, that it's on high alert. And I, and it is there to protect us. Right. So it's not that we're like, like, thank goodness we have this, right. It's not a bad thing but it's just that we need to understand it so we can really learn to regulate it and, and heal. So we're not in that constant state of exhaustion and burnout and stress. That's, that's exactly right, Elizabeth, because if we don't learn how to reset it, because sometimes particularly if you have multiple traumas and multiple, right, the body just doesn't, automatically reset, right? So we have to be intentional about what we're doing to get to that reset. So that's really huge. And if you're right, if we don't, we deplete, right? We deplete physically, right? You know, our adrenals are pumping out all this like adrenaline, all these stress hormones are coursing through our body, right? Because they're keeping us high alert. And again, in the short term, that might be helpful, but if that's a chronic condition that goes on for weeks, months, years, we deplete physically, psychologically, right? And even spiritually, we deplete. So we have to recognize it to your words and then reset. Mm, Yes, absolutely. Yep. So when we talk about how I definitely want to get into some tips and tools for people. Um, but was there more that you wanted to add about how trauma affects your relationship with your body? Yes. Thank you for bringing us back there. I I do because so oftentimes we experience traumatic stress, very somatically, like, like sometimes actually the trauma happens to our body 
right? Or our body is, is impacted in some way. So think about it. If there is distress and something harmful, right? That hits our body. The natural reaction is to want to check out from our body. Okay. So to dissociate, right? Like, oh boy, it's not safe in there. So I want to, I want to kind of not be in there. (laughs) Right. So yes, it's, it's adaptive and makes sense, but that can lead to a host of issues. Right. And some, I was thinking about you, Elizabeth, just in what you're doing in with your mission, you know, just even the mindful eating. And I think about like trauma survivors when they split off from their body, like even being able to tune into sensations of like, Oh, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty or I, I feel like I need to rest <laughs> or like sometimes we're not as in tune with that because we've effectively split off. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I think what can inadvertently happen is that we end up, you know, kind of neglecting some of those basic needs because we're, we're just, we're, we're trying to survive, right? We're our trying to survive. Safe, right? Exactly. We feel like our body, it's not safe here. This isn't my home. So I need to disembody, right? I need to be somewhere else because that is what I think is safe. And yes, that makes so much sense of, you know, so much of the work I do with women is helping them to get to know their inner voice and, and their body, right? Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. the inner voice. Cause a lot of times our inner voices that could be that voice of the inner critic. Yes. So, so really getting curious about where, where are these voices coming from? But yeah, really, I talk a lot about, and I know we're both in the yoga industry. So we, we, we understand this on that level too, is that it's, it's, there's this mind body connection. And so it's one thing for me to say, notice your hunger signals, but yeah, if you are always kind of checked out of your body, how are you going to notice your hunger signal? That's right. That's right. And it's scary to come back into the body, right? Especially because uh, (laughs) this is my cat. He just, he makes an appearance sometimes on my zoom calls. Um, It's scary to come back in. Right. So we have to figure out right how we can come back in safely and in ways right where we're not lashing out toward ourselves or lashing out toward others. Right. Lashing in or lashing out. Right? <laughs> so um, it's tricky. But but I think that it, it makes sense. Right? Judith Herman in her book, Trauma and Recovery, really talks about the two most common responses are feeling disempowered after trauma. So in other words, feeling like we don't have agency or choice or control and um, disconnection, sometimes disconnection from others, but really some of the most profound disconnection is from ourself and from our very own bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it makes so much sense too. I mean, what's coming through to me right now is just compassion. Like how, if you're resonating with this story, if you're like, that's, that's me, I feel like I'm not in my body. How can we have a deeper level of compassion for ourselves too, if you are resonating with this? And I also, I kind of go back to saying, 
you know, when I talk about how harmful dieting is and how it really disconnects us from Mm. our body signals, Mm. it disconnects us from our intuitive eating that we were born into as babies and society kind of like brainwashes that away. Oh, you don't know what's best for you. Pay me, you know, a million dollars and I'll tell you what's best for you. Right. So getting, getting back into that seat of my, my, I am the expert of my own experience. I am the expert. uh, Only I am the guru of what my body really needs. I think just knowing that part of what happens with dieting is people get really frustrated because the body thinks it's exposed to a famine. And so the metabolism is slowed down. And then people say, I can't trust my body. My body's let me down. And what I always talk about is your body is doing everything it can to keep you alive. (laughs) And so all of these things that we're sharing today, it's like, it's so interesting because you could think, oh, I don't want to be out of my body, but that's where the compassion comes in is like, you, if that is your response to your trauma, it's like, that's probably coming from this place of you are trying to survive. And how beautiful is that? Exactly. Like on the, like that is I, the, the fancy term that I use is it, it was adaptive. It served a really important function, right? That, that whatever you did to survive it, it actually got you through it. So let's honor that. Right. Uh, first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's a huge piece. Like, I mean, we could talk about that, just honoring that for like 45 minutes, because that's another thing I see is like, as women, especially it's like, we don't want to celebrate our wins. We don't want to celebrate. Like, we don't want to brag. We don't want to seem like we're, but it's like, I want in this community, I want us to have this really safe space of, I am so, I, I am so grateful for my body for, even though this is really hard, wow, it got me through that trauma or it got me to this other side. And, and the more that we can celebrate ourselves, it's like, not only is it healing to you, but it's healing to the whole, the vibration of the whole community. Everyone is, is lifted up by that. And I, one of my goals is just to make that like mainstream is like, instead of getting together with your girlfriends and talking about like, what's not working, what are we all celebrating? What is working well? And not to like bypass anything that is hard. I'm all about going into and being real, Yeah, but it's also just like acknowledging where we've been. Right. And all that we've come through. I mean, just 2020 alone, we could all just be like, Right. We did something right. Right. We've done some right things to be able to get through this. Like, has it been perfect? Maybe not, but we've, we've tapped into something. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So let's get into what are some things that people can do to help to reset and heal from trauma? Like what, what are some ideas or some first steps? Yeah. So, okay. So first as a psychologist, I have to say that, right. People should, if they want, right. If, 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 if they are so called to seek out their own healing through therapy, that's certainly a viable option. I would just say to make sure that you're seeing someone that knows how to deal with trauma. Sometimes there's good therapists out in the world, but they don't know trauma. So if someone is so inclined to work on it from a talk 
and cognitive perspective, feeling perspective to do that. That said, I am not a believer that, that it's only through that therapy that we can heal. I mean, that's one piece of it. There's things we can do every single day to also reset ourselves, right? So, so, so let's start at the most basic level. The one thing we know from a neurobiological perspective that kicks us out of that sympathetic activation and into that more optimal, curious, open, grounded place is a slow, mindful breath. So just the ability to track our breath, right? And so even inhales and exhales, right? Doesn't even, I mean, if they're deep, great. If they're not deep, because sometimes when we get anxious, we breathe from here. I'm more interested in, can we notice and track and follow the breath and maybe lengthen it, right? That is the single best thing we can do to let the body know it's safe, right? It's, it's not sexy. It's not expensive. You already know how to do it, right? It's a matter of doing it though, mindfully. So yeah, yeah no breath work is such a huge piece of what I do with my clients too. And yeah, you don't need, you don't need to hire anyone to, um, tap into your breath or come into the body. And I, I always say, you know, the breath is a doorway into your body. And, um, I remember, and I'm curious about from the yoga piece too, is that for, for me personally, it feels it's easier for me to come into my body when I close my eyes and I'm breathing into, I try, I, I play with like, I'm going to breathe into my belly and expand my belly like a balloon, or now I'm going to breathe into my chest and I'm going to breathe into my back. I'm going to breathe into my kidneys. And I'm just such a visual person. So it helps me to kind of imagine where I'm sending my breath. And I remember from actually working with you in yoga teacher training about with trauma. So for me, I, that feels good to close my eyes and come into my body. And I want to share something that Janine shared with me many years ago in yoga teacher training, which is that if that doesn't feel safe for you to close your eyes, you can just take a soft gaze. You don't have to close your eyes (laughs) And you, so it's all about getting into a safe space for you and then yes, tapping into your breath. And I think I want to add one more thing, which is like, let go of your agenda, right? Like it's not, I think sometimes when we do this kind of stuff, it's like, (laughs) we put so much pressure on ourselves. Like, okay, I'm going to just like release all my stress. Okay, here I go. And it's like, and then we're still stressed. So it's like, set down the agenda, just make it as simple as possible And also like, how do you, how do you create a a breath practice or habit or ritual? Because, and maybe you have some advice around that because yes, it's a tool that's always available to us. And I feel like when we're in the red zone, that's what I call it. I call it with my children. We're in the red zone. Totally. Right. Not always easy to remember like, okay, I should go to the bathroom right now. Lock myself in there and breathe. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) It's exactly right. Right. But you know what, even sometimes just even acknowledging that I'm in the red zone 
can help shift it, right? <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm in the red zone. Okay. At least like I, you become aware that you're not breathing mindfully or slowly, right? So that's even helpful. Yeah. That's, um, a, big, that's a big step is just noticing. Yeah. Noticing my heart, my heart rate is up. I'm getting really warm. I'm starting to have a little shortness of breath. I mean, the more curious you can be about, like I said, your body is always sending you messages always. And it's just, it's just, it's getting to know your body and our bodies have so much wisdom, right? There's so much wisdom. And so I love that the idea of just breath work as just a simple way of getting into the body. Yeah. And I think the next point is, is a perfect next point to what you just said, Elizabeth, which is, okay, so trauma is held in our body. Like it's, it's a nervous system response more than a, more than a psychological response. Okay. It's, it's, it's in our body. So we heal and reset when we, when we move and mindfully kind of move our body. So, and what I mean by that is that can be anything. Okay. So for example, yoga is certainly one tool that can be really helpful in resetting the nervous system, right? Because you have the combination of some movement with breath, but there's other options, right? Um, like a mindful walk. And when I mean mindful, let me just um, define that it's doing kind of one thing at a time on purpose with no judgment, right? So just walking and just walking and not do what I do sometimes, which is walk and talk on the phone or listen to a podcast or check my text messages. Like, you know, but really just mindfully walking and resetting as I move. It could be dance. It could be gardening. It could be any practice where there's some, a mindful element to it and where the body is moving because we're literally discharging some of that stress hormone and neurotransmitters out, right? We're, we're like releasing and making room for the other stuff, the good stuff, like dopamine and serotonin and GABA, which is the neurotransmitters that help us feel less depressed, less anxious. We, we make room for that to come in. So I think there is healing in movement, even if the movement is very gentle, very slow, right? It doesn't have to be some big workout. You are preaching my life. I mean, this is like, yes, this is my totally what I go by. And it's, I, I don't know if you know, I have a walking practice. I walk every day, seven days a week, 30 minutes a day. And the, the thing that is so mind blowingly powerful is in my younger days, I always tied movement into working out, burning calories. <laughs> I'm doing this because I got to get hotter. I got to get tighter. I got to get smaller. And I have come into this whole new phase. And this is part of what I do with my clients is really creating joy filled, pleasurable movement practices because of exactly what you're saying is that there is so much juice and beauty in moving your body without the agenda of needing to change it 
or fix it because it's so broken and wrong. Rather, you're moving your body from a place of love. You're moving your body from a place of curiosity of what is happening in me today. When I go out on my walk, sometimes I walk and I'm like, gosh, I'm feeling down. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not that every time I go out walking, I'm like, everything's great. You know, (laughs) it's just an opportunity for me to check in with myself. And if you're not familiar with, with mindfulness, what Janine was sharing, it's very simple. It's just, it's simple, not easy of being in the present moment. So yes, when you're walking and you're talking and you're texting and which I've done that too. Yeah. Sometimes I'm multitasking and then, and then I come home from my walk and I'm like, I don't feel that rejuvenated. What right. happened? Oh, I, w- I actually wasn't present in what I was doing, right? So that's what Janine is saying is just the present. And as, as a dancer, as a yogi, I, I also completely agree that, that we, we hold all of this in our bodies. And so it doesn't matter what it looks like. Like, that's the thing I want someone to hear today. Someone needs to hear that is it doesn't matter what your body looks like doing it, move it, breathe it, like get all of that, that is stored in the body. Just let it shine free. Like I do this a lot, like (sighs) totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. And the body knows how to do it. You know, with the body knows how to do it. We just need to set up situations to allow that to happen. right? And then let the body's wisdom kind of take over. Um, so yeah, those are, those are, those are my go-to practices, Elizabeth. Honestly, it comes down to breath, you know, moving mindfully. I think part of what we talked about too is, um, you know, focusing on what's working, what's going right. Um, what, what we accomplished today, however small, like, like really noticing the good and taking in the good and not being afraid to take in the good. Um, and, and that's, again, I don't want to confuse that with like Pollyanna look on the bright side. That's very different. Okay. Very different. I'm talking like, Hey, I was able to get up and get dressed this morning and, you know, take a shower. And that was a win. Like <laughs> That was a win today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's becoming in alignment with ourselves and whatever's present. And it's not wishing away whatever's present. It's just allowing it to be there. I always say you have to feel to heal. So it doesn't serve anyone when you shove down your feelings and you, you, you need to put on a happy face. It's like create a space for yourself to be real, be honest and, and feel into the body. And I think that's why movement is so powerful too, is some, for a lot of us, if you think about feeling into your body, like if I, if I think about feeling into my body, sitting in this chair, Mm -hmm. that might feel like a lot, but when I'm, when I'm moving, walking, even just going outside, like we haven't talked a lot about that, but just going out in nature, if you, if you have mobility issues and you can't walk, just going outside and breathing, right. It's just, there's, it's, it's available to you. And it's just, it's just having the consciousness of, tapping into yourself 
and really listening to yourself. And it just, and it also takes practice, right? It, it takes practice to kind of shift and change your perspective. And, you know, so one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And I know, and uh, I do know we need to wrap soon. And I'll just, I'll just say one last thing, at least if I could, we talked about the Judith Herman, that disconnect or disempowered disconnection. I read a fascinating study and you made me think of it about um, also just getting like outside, like connecting to something bigger than ourselves, that, that the benefit of just sometimes watching like a, a bird in, in a tree or in our, in our backyard or out the front street, right? Like you said, if we have mobility issues, maybe we can't, maybe we're injured. Maybe we can't get outside. Just even looking outside of that bird for like one minute can improve that feeling of being connected to something else, right? So just like those little practices are all amazing healing practices. And in my mind, that's, that's, that's trauma treatment right there. Right. That's, that's a version of it. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to find out more about your work or how they can find you, where should they go? Yeah. Elizabeth, thank you for the opportunity. So, uh, moving beyond trauma.org that is um, our website. It's a trauma treatment center that does trauma-focused treatment. Like I said, if, if you are interested in that as one piece of healing, uh, it's a resource that's available. Right now, we're doing everything via telehealth. We'll see how long that will last, but uh, we do have openings for, and we see anybody from kids as young as four through older adults. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today for this conversation. I mean, it sounds silly to say I had fun talking to you about trauma today. <laughs> yes, I know. Right. It can, hopefully it can feel, um, accessible and normalizing and hopeful, ultimately hopeful because, um, healing is possible. Yes. Yes, that is, that is the truth. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for your time. I'm Elizabeth Marbury, and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. See you next time.